0: Well, you know what? Last week we had a great time at Easter, and I just want to tell you this it was great services. We had 17 people begin a relationship with Jesus Christ, and that's something to celebrate right there. That's what it's all about. I'm super excited to hear that. And I'm excited because the series that we're beginning today is called What Just Happened what just happened. And we're talking about what happens when you, you get saved. What, what, how does that impact your current state of affairs? How does that impact your, your, your today, your tomorrow, and, and how you live your life, and even how in your eternity. So what happened to us when we said, you know, I, I, want, to, I want to begin a relationship with Jesus. I want to get Saved. Maybe you're here this morning and you haven't made that commitment. That's okay. This is this is going to be a great message. I want to really ask the question today: uh, What is salvation? What is it? If you're in here this morning and and someone were to ask you that question, I want you to think about what would you tell them. I mean, would you share fifty scriptures with them? Uh, what, 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 what would be your, your response? And maybe you haven't made that commitment. And just listen today and think about it and contemplate. Let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart. And that's what I want to do, just to try to attempt to answer that question today. And we're going to be in this series for four weeks. So May 3rd will be the last Sunday. It's going to be a great time. And I'm excited about how we're going to conclude it. We're going to conclude it May 3rd, second service during worship, doing baptism. And uh, I want you, if you have never been baptized... If you would like to be baptized, I want you to go to the info desk immediately following this service or sometime in the next few weeks and sign up because it's going to be a great time. You say, what is baptism? Well, you know, some churches do it different ways. What we believe here is we do a full submersion baptism. That's what we see in the Bible. People being baptized. Jesus Himself was baptized by John the Baptist. And baptism is, is a couple things. Number one, it's a, it's an opportunity to publicly profess that, hey, I believe in Jesus Christ. I've been saved and transformed. It's also symbolic of what happens when you get saved, where all the, the past and the sin, all that's been washed away, and you're now a brand new person. We don't believe that baptism saves someone, but we do believe it's part of the process. You're saved by Jesus. When we look at the Bible, we see that people were saved, and almost immediately following, they were baptized with water. We haven't done baptism a lot in the, in the church in general seeming like there hasn't been a great emphasis on it um, but I just want to say this, a few months ago, we, we did a baptism, we had people asking us, we did it on a Wednesday night during worship, a night of prayer and worship, we baptized roughly 30 people at one time, it was awesome, it was a great celebration, and so I just want to encourage you, if you know somebody, they're not here today, you know somebody that wants to be baptized, and they've been saved, but they're not plugged into a church, bring them, we want to meet them, we want to help them take that next step, and it's going to be a great time. So that's May 3rd, second service, during worship, it's going to be awesome. This morning, if you would, uh, go with me to Romans chapter 1, verse 16. I just want to read this verse, and then we're going we're gonna to get into <clears throat> the message today. And excuse my, my coughing throughout the message. I woke up with a little bit of a sore throat, so I apologize. The Bible says this. It says, Paul writing in the book of Romans, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes? I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. Pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much once again for the opportunity to be here this morning. I just pray that Holy Spirit, you you help us to see something fresh today. I hope that you help us, those of us who have been in church a long time and heard this word salvation so many times, may we not shut off, but may we just expect something fresh from you today. For those of us that are in here that maybe have never made that decision, I ask you, Holy Spirit, just to speak to hearts and minds and do what you do best, revealing Jesus. Help me to preach this message quickly, effectively, and without coughing a bunch. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. And I'm getting a phone call. That's great. Everyone should know I'm doing this right now. But they don't know. I don't know who it is. Your name's not on it. If it were, I'd ask you why you're calling me. But anyway... (laughs) How many people in here like to go shopping? You can put your hand up. See, the majority, hey, I just saw a guy go like this. He went like this real quick and put it back down. I mean, mostly men looked at their wives and said, of course, put your hand up. And some wives looked at their men and said, I know you, you like to shop more than than I do. I, I think we all. We all shop one way or another. Some of us are mall shoppers. We like to go to the mall and look at things that we don't have that we would like to have. And we'll not buy anything. We'll just spend hours looking through things. Uh, maybe the majority of us, we shop because we have to. Right? We go to Walmart. We go to the grocery store. We buy stuff that we need uh, begrudgingly. You know, but we, that's what we do. You know, we shop. But we, more than any culture, I think, on the face of the earth, are shoppers. We are consumers, right? We, we acquire stuff. How many of you have stuff in your house? Like you got rooms of stuff. You did an addition for stuff. You know what I mean? You, got, you have kids, and with kids comes stuff, right? Every birthday, parents, grandparents, people buy more stuff. That's what we do. We accumulate stuff, and we... we Our life is driven a lot by what we we consume, what we buy, like, you know, we define ourselves by it, what we have and what we don't have, what we wished we could have. You know, Apple just released a brand new watch. Pre-order was on Friday. I did not pre-order one. I thought about it, but I didn't. You know, the reality is, is I could get this watch, I could put it on my wrist, and then what's going to happen is about six months later, Apple's going to say, hey, we're releasing the second version of the watch. And it does exactly three things more than the other one didn't do, and you need to get the new one. And I'd be like, yeah, this one's old. I've had it for six months. I need to get the new one, because this one is no longer the best. You know, we, we consume so much information today. I mean, with the invention of the smartphone, the world is literally at our fingertips, Right? we are just constantly consuming information. Some of you use it as your bible and that's cool. Some of you consume information through it during a sermon on Facebook or whatever when it gets boring you're like I'm bored. I got to consume some more information. That's just it's what we do. We become a, we become a consumer culture. We become a culture of acquiring things. And I think that and I'm not here to demonize shopping or consuming because I'm like everyone else. I like to get stuff. I think what happens is, is that 's made its way in how we look at God and his truths and the things that, that he has to offer is we we go to church or we go to a conference or, or wherever, and we hear something we hear a, something about God or a truth of God or maybe salvation, and we say, "Oh I really I would like to get me some of that right and then we we acquire it and we take this truth of God and we set it on our shelf or wherever we set it and we say, okay, I've got that thing. I've acquired that thing. I got the saved thing down. Now I'm on to the next. What's the next best thing? And I think what's happened is, is that we have begun to look at God and his truths as like a spiritual Walmart. Right? Where we're just coming week after week to hear something that we can acquire. We don't necessarily think about it in context of how is this going to really change my life? How is this going to overhaul my life? We want to make additions to our life. And I'm not saying, I'm not here to demonize or condemn that. I just think it's kind of a current state of how we look at it, not because we want to be that way, but because I think we've been taught to be that way. We can get so much information we can read so many books and get a new piece of knowledge. But what I want to do this morning is I want to look at salvation and say, what is salvation? Is it something to acquire? Is it a label that we can get and wear around and say, well, I'm saved. Are you saved? You're not saved. You need to be saved because I'm saved. I'm a Christian. You're not a Christian, right? We live in a world of labels. I'm a Republican. You're a Democrat. I'm good. You're bad. You know, whatever the case may be, we just are we are we acquiring the things of God, or are we al- are we becoming more like him? You know, do you become the stuff that you purchase? No you hope we hope to. If I buy an apple watch, then I'm really cool. you know, whatever. Whatever, the case, whatever your, your apple is, what do you own that you think, I got this because I see the functionality of it, but it says something about me, you know? And with, with, with God, are we, are we more interested in, in, in consuming aspects of him or are we more interested in having him consume all of us? Is, is salvation something that, that, that we acquire or is salvation something that acquires us? Is the question. I begin to look through my study this week and say, how many times is the word salvation used in the Bible? Depending on the translation that you read, it'll be used at very different times, but each translation that's used a hundred or more times, the word salvation. I didn't look up every derivative of that saved, save, saving, just salvation. There's one thing I found in common. Is that the first usage of the word in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 49, verse 18? There's something in the in in Bible study called the law of first mention. That whenever a word or a subject is mentioned the first time, it's important to take note of how it's used and what it means. In Genesis chapter 49, verse 18, we have Jacob who is a patriarch of the faith, speaking to all of his sons. And these are the last words that he's given them. And one of the phrases is, is this. He says, I trust in you for salvation, O Lord. I trust in you for salvation. It's, it's mixed, a whole chapter of him speaking things. And I, I said, okay, for salvation. Salvation is used as a noun there, right? It's used as a what? What is a noun? A person, place, thing, or idea? It's a noun. So what what does that word mean in the original language of the Old Testament? The original language of the Old Testament is Hebrew. That's what it was written in. And when I looked that word up, this is the word that was used. It's the word Yeshua. It's what the word for salvation is. Some of you are like catching the connection. Some of you are like, I don't speak Hebrew. Yeshua means salvation, but Yeshua is what would later become the name of Jesus. Matthew one twenty one, angel speaking to Mary, telling her that she's going to have a baby. It says this: it "says and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." The way Mary would have heard that as her speaking Hebrew is: "You will have a son, and you will name him Yeshua," or some people say Yehoshua. It's all the same. You will name him Jesus. Jesus is the Greek of the Hebrew word Yeshua. Now, how, how cool is that? That the first time the word salvation is used in the Bible, the word for it in the original language is Yeshua, which is the, would become the name of Jesus. That Jacob, he's probably not understanding what he's saying. He says, I trust in you for Jesus, O Lord. That's what he's saying. That's beautiful. question is not, what is salvation? It's not, not... how to define it as an abstract theological concept that it's a thing that we acquire it's a piece of knowledge that that we know when we can talk about the reality is that salvation has never been a what it'll never be a what it is a who and it is jesus that it is something that is alive That, that it is a person we know from reading reading the Bible that, that, that God said, for, for he so loved the world that he gave us his only son. And that the gospel has never been about man getting to God, right? About man being good enough for God. About man undoing what Adam and Eve did in the garden when they disobeyed him. It has always been about God coming to man. God, it was God's plan of salvation. The name of Jesus means God is Salvation. That's who he is, meaning that when he gave us Jesus, he gave us a part of himself. He didn't give us a thing. He didn't give us a concept. He didn't give us something to be consumed. He gave us someone who would consume all that was bad and sinful and evil of us and would give us his life. He gave us a real person. How many of you in here could say that you are alive today because someone gave their life up for you? Now, I don't mean in the context of the men and women who have given their lives in the context of war for us. I mean that you know that you're alive because so-and-so pushed you in front of, pushed you, not in front of a car, but pushed you (laughs) away from the car. That That someone took a bullet, that someone took something that was going to take your life, and they laid their life down for you. If you're in here this morning, that's incredible. Most of us don't have... The ability to say, I'm here because so-and-so gave their life up for me. See, concepts, uh, ideas, they, they can't do that. An idea and a concept cannot lay its life down for you. An idea and a concept cannot save you. An idea and concept can only, it can benefit you, but it cannot do what God did for us in Jesus. By giving us him self. He gave us his life. He didn't come that we would have good ideas and that we could intellectually get to a point where we say, okay, now we're good because we've become smart enough. Nothing wrong with being smart. I believe that God is the ultimate intellectual. We're all smart in our own way and it comes from him. The question then is how did he do it? How did he, he save me? How did this happen? You may, before you get to that question, is what did I need saved from? Anybody ever, ever ask you that? You ever tell somebody, hey, you need to get saved? They're like, from what? What do I get saved from? My life's good. What, what did we get saved from? We got saved literally from eternal separation from God. Saved from the penalty and the punishment of sin. The penalty and the punishment that happened when Adam and Eve did what they did, disobeying God, relationship between God and man was severed. That would, The reason and very purpose that God created Adam and Eve so that they could, they could come and live in this world that he created and do it with him and have relationship with him. They, they separated themselves by disobedience. And there was nothing that they could do or anybody else could ever do to get back in that rightful position of relationship with God and man. Because there was this debt of sin that was overhanging. It wasn't God's plan, right? We, we do a pretty good job of undoing people's plans and messing stuff up. And that's what happened. And God's plan from that very moment was to bring salvation, bring send Jesus into the world. Because the debt of sin required the death of an individual. And that's when Jesus, he became a man to this earth. Lived a sinless life. Was tempted in every way that you and I are tempted, yet found without fault. And he paid that price. And he did it through, I'm going to talk about two things. Two big R words of theology. These big R's that we discuss. I'm not talking about them to be uber theological today. I'm not talking about them to impress. I'm talking about them because they are very important to our faith, very important to our relationship with God. I want to talk about redemption and righteousness. We don't hear too much about that anymore. I think because we've tried to take the words redemption and righteousness and make them relevant in some way. And I'm all for doing everything we can to be be relevant to society, but we can't do it at the expense of truth. You know what I mean? And there's just some things we can't improve on. There's just some things we just can't say better. Right? You ever try to flower something up for somebody and they still look at you like, what's going on? And you just got to tell them the truth. You were stupid. That's what happened. And then they're like, okay, I got it. I can't, I can't improve on this. I, I, I tried, but I can't. Redemption. How did he save me? He, he, he redeemed me. What, is, what does redeem mean? Anybody got a coupon in the mail or in the, in the email? And it says on the bottom, it says to what? To what this coupon? Redeem this coupon. It's part of our everyday vernacular our, while we shop and stuff. To redeem this coupon. Take this coupon which is valued and has worth this amount to the whomever and they will redeem it for the value that it's worth. It, is, it has a price associated with it that you get to benefit from to redeem literally means to pay back or to to rescue by paying a ransom of this goes back to what we were saved from Jesus paying the penalty and the price of sin and that is redemption Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 tells us this it says in him Jesus we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins according to the re- riches of his grace. We have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of sins. That he, he redeemed us. He bought us back from the penalty and the price of sin. He, he restored us back to our rightful position. He paid that price of sin. That he did it in himself. It was our debt but he paid it. It's like this. If if, if you had a car loan or a house loan, someone came to you and said, what's your, what's your debt? Okay, for that house, you own 120000 Here's what I'm going to do. Let's go to the bank or whoever your lender is. We're going to sit down. I'm going to write a check on your behalf to pay off your house, $120,000. They give it to the banker. You're sitting there freaking out. You don't know whether to cry or run away or whether to believe this is really real. And they give it to the lender your house is paid. You have no more debt. You walk away. A month later, you sit down to pay the bills. And without thinking, you go to write a check to the mortgage company. You may even go so far as to send the check in, and they send it back to you, and they, say, they have a note that says what? Paid in full. You don't owe anything. I mean, that is a very, 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 very basic example. doesn't even really compare. But that's what redemption is. That's what Jesus did. He paid that mortgage of sin, that debt, that sin. And he was the only one who could pay it. No one else on earth could live a perfect sinless life and make that payment for sin. No one else could go to the cross, die, be buried for three days, and then resurrect again. If Jesus had not resurrected, you and I would not be sitting here. We would have not celebrated last week. The resurrection is very, very, very important. It is the paid in full notice on the redemption of sin. And here's what I like about redemption. Redemption is not one of those concepts either. I, I, I started off saying a big R of theology. The Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter 49 verse 7, it says this. It says, the Lord, the Redeemer, and Holy One of Israel. There are names for God throughout the entire Old Testament. He is Jehovah Jireh, the God my provider. He is Jehovah Rapha, the God my healer. And there's all these names, and we could preach a sermon series on them. There's a name that's way down the list that says Jehovah Gael, the Lord my Redeemer. Meaning that redemption is who God is. Redemption is part of his character. Redemption is part of his life. And that when Jesus redeemed us, he gave us a part of himself. It's wrapped up in the salvation. He did not give us another concept. He did not give us another idea. He gave us a part of who he is. And in that process of salvation and redemption, there's this other R that we became. And it's called the word righteousness. How many of you ever heard that word? How many of you could like think you could adequately define it? Yeah, me either. I I was grew up in church a long time. And I I I heard the word righteousness, but I'm like, I don't know what that is. I can't even spell it. That whole G H E O U S stuff is, you know, I don't make much sense. Righteousness—it's—it's it's, it's kind of an abstract concept and word. We think about it like, what does—what does righteousness mean? I mean, I've heard of righteous indignation, right? And that just means I've got a justified reason to be angry. And does righteous mean justice? Does righteous mean the way I live? Is righteousness a, a way of life? We get that from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. It says this, it says, For he made him who knew no sin to be, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is a profound scripture. This scripture is where we get the, this idea. Everybody heard of the great exchange. The great exchange. That, that, that righteousness, it's, it's not what we do. Righteousness is not how we live our life. Righteousness is not just justice. Okay, It's not just a justified reason to do something or be something. Righteousness literally means this, to be put right with, or to be as you are ought to be, the condition acceptable to God. Adam and Eve, when they were first created, they were righteous. They were as they were ought to be. God created them, they were were, righteous. supreme. They were in the condition that was acceptable to God. The moment they disobeyed God, the moment they lost their righteousness, they were no longer as they ought to be. They were no longer in the condition that was acceptable to God because sin had entered into the world and into their life. And it separated them. So what this verse is telling us is that Jesus, who knew no sin, meaning he was not sinful, he never sinned, God made Jesus to be sin for us. Not in practice, right? He did not make Jesus sin. He made him to be sin, meaning he became the representative of sin for all mankind, past, present, and future. Meaning that he was now responsible for the eternal punishment and penalty of sin. That where once mankind stood... Adam and Eve were representative of of all mankind. Scripture, sometimes you hear people say the first Adam, where he stood responsible for the penalty of sin, that God literally took us out of that spot, put Jesus in that spot, stepped in to assume, and Jesus gladly, and he did it not against his will, but he did it because he desired to do it. He took upon himself the penalty and the punishment for sin. Passed. Present and future. Some people say, well, I don't know about that future stuff. I don't know if he did it future. Well, the only problem with that thinking is you and I were all future. Right? We were not alive when Jesus was on earth 2,000 years ago. If you were, then you should be making a lot of money. We, 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 We were all future. And what God does is eternal, not bound by time and space. Okay, God is outside of time and space. It means this, that also, because the Bible tells that Jesus was the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the world, meaning this, God knew that when he created Adam and Eve and told them not to eat of the fruit, they would eat of the fruit, and it would cause a big problem. So he had the plan of salvation already in place. You know, God, I heard a pastor say this, he said, God's never had an idea. He's all-knowing. If you know everything, you don't have an idea. You ever think about that? That just kind of blows my mind. God's never had an idea. God's never said, whoops. <laughs> God, God's never stood back and scratched his head and said, I didn't really think they would do that. Hold on, let me get back to you. Like, you ever think when you pray, it, you think God's like, hold on, let me get back to you. Let me go figure something out? I mean, that's what I do with my son, you know. I don't know. <laughs> That's what I do sometimes as a pastor. You have a question? I don't know. Let me figure it out. God doesn't do that. That's not how he works, right? He had a plan, and Jesus was his plan. So when Jesus came, when he went to the cross, when he died, became sin for all of humanity, God had already thought about you and me. He already saw the sins that we would commit, and he chose ahead of time to forgive them in Jesus. God already knew what he was getting when he got you and me. He's never surprised. He's never caught off guard. Think about that. He forgave it all in Jesus. All sin in Jesus. The Bible speaks to the fact that as Jesus was on the cross and dying, that the sins of mankind were being spoken over Jesus. He absorbed all sin into his body, went into the grave, resurrected three days later, having conquered, as the Bible said, death, hell, in the grave, and sin, and he stood victorious. So what did we get in turn? If Jesus got all this sin and all the bad stuff and everything that we were responsible for, what did we get? We got his righteousness. What's that? We got, we got the fact that he's seated at the right hand of the Father, Right, that he is God's son, that God is pleased with Jesus. Do you ever think God got frustrated with Jesus? Do you ever read in Scripture where God once said he was displeased with his son? Do you ever read in Scripture where God once said, I'm going to disown you as my son? You don't read it because it doesn't exist. Because God has never been displeased with his son. Ever. And when when we became the righteousness, not a righteousness, the, it's a definite article, the righteousness of God in Christ, we assumed the same position before God as Jesus. How did we do that? We accepted the free gift of salvation. Okay, you have to believe. How do you believe? God gives you the ability to believe. We can't take credit for anything. But when we believed Jesus, we assumed the position of Jesus. So what does that mean? God is pleased with you. God is proud of you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He does not have a desire to disown you. Yeah, but what if I screw up? He saw it in advance. Well, doesn't the Bible tell me I need to confess? Yes. Confess your sins. But confessing your sin doesn't activate forgiveness. What Jesus did activates forgiveness. When you confess your sins to God, you're receiving the forgiveness that Jesus purchased on the cross for you. It's not an excuse to live any way you want. Some people say, well, Josh, if you tell people after they get saved that God is proud of them and he loves them and he's not getting angry at them and wanting to disown them and that he, he's for them, they may just want to go and sin and do bad stuff. How many of you have ever thought to yourself, "You are your children, if I love my kid too much, they may not want to be my kid. You ever thought that? Have you ever for a moment thought, I could tell my kid I love him today, but and that I'm, I'm always going to be their parent and that they're always going to be my child no matter what they do. Anybody ever tell their kids that? Hey, especially when they get teenagers, my parents said, Josh, I will always love you. I will always be your parent. If you go and do something stupid when you're, when you're older, and you find yourself in a compromising situation in prison, at someone's house you shouldn't be at, whatever the case, you call me, I will come and get you, and we'll talk about it later. That's what my parents, anybody's parent ever tell you that? What makes you think God would be any different or any less than that? Do you think God just says, here's Jesus, my son, who I gave to you, the very most precious and prized possession that I have, I gave to you, and now the moment that you do something wrong, I'm going to go like this. I don't want any part of it. I don't know him. Do you think that's how God works? Really? I mean, I grew up. A big portion of my life wondering, I got saved at a very young age. I encountered Jesus. I was wondering, am I pleasing to God? Because I, I had my own struggles. You know, I struggled with pornography and I struggled with other things. And I'm wondering, am I still pleasing to you, God? Do you still love me because I screwed up? I'm begging for forgiveness. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm weeping at the altar, trying to be pleasing to God, not realizing the moment that I believed in Jesus, I was pleasing to him. That the finished work of Jesus makes me pleasing to God. Not my obedience. Does that mean he's he's pleased when I'm disobedient? No, I'm not saying that. You need to hear me. He's pleased with you and me because of Jesus. He's not pleased with you and me because of what we do for him. Everything that we do for him, every act of obedience is the fruit of the relationship that we have with him, is a fruit of the righteousness that he gave us in Jesus. We don't live righteously to be righteous. How many of your children have ever done something and you said, now, you're my child? Because you did that, you're an earl's. I know you were born and your mother birthed you and everything, but now, hmm, yeah, you're my son. We we don't think that way. And and here's here's what I love that God said. You're not sons and daughters of, of me by worth. You're sons and daughter by birth. That's why the Bible says that we must be born again. Born again. We're sons and daughters by birth. God made us brand new. How did he do that? Come back next week. That's what we're gonna talk about. We are for real. For real. That's what we're gonna talk about next week. But that's what he did. He he made us righteous. I was righteous before God before I ever obeyed, before I ever did anything that he told me to do. And when I obeyed him, it didn't make me more righteous. It just spoke to what I already was. And I, I, I obey him. And I do what he tells me to do because he loves me. Because he did the greatest thing for me he'll ever do in his son Jesus Christ. I'm never doing it to, be, to become something. I'm never doing it to be something. I'm doing it because he made me something. Right? Just as he made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin, he made me the righteousness of God in Christ. And I know we screw up, and I know that we do bad things. I know that we sin even after we come into this. But it does not undo what Jesus did. If I believe that my one act of disobedience has undone the finished work of Jesus, I effectively believe that my actions are greater than his. Isn't that, isn't that the ultimate humanistic point of view? That what I do is greater than God? Think about it. That's arrogant. But it's justifiable because we're trying to be good. I get it. I've lived there. But, you know, once I got this realization that God, you saved me. Not because I deserved it. Not because I earned it. Not because I'm going to add so much value to you. I don't make you anymore, God. You're God. You saved me simply because you loved me. You, you, you sent Jesus to the earth for me and all the world, that the whole world may be saved. That's what you did. And then to believe in you, it requires this thing called faith, of which I'm incapable of producing. And you gave me the faith to believe in you. And, and, when, and when, I, when I do good things, when I obey, and when I live the way that I should live, it's not me doing it, it's you doing it through me. Because he gave us his life. And by the way, righteousness is not a concept either. Jeremiah 23, 6 says, And this will be his name. The Lord is our righteousness. Jehovah Sidkenu. The Lord is our righteousness. It's who he is, not what he is. Who he is. That the life that I live, the things that I do, that are according with his will, he's literally giving me the power and the ability in living his life through me. I can't take credit for it. I can't take credit for the good stuff. I can only take credit for the bad. It's when I don't do what he's called me to do that I can't say, well, God made me do it. But when I do good things, it's because of you, God. It's not because of me. It's because of you. And if I attempt to take credit for the good, I will never give God credit for anything. I won't. It's all because of you, God. Because you didn't send me a concept. You didn't send me an idea. You sent this world, your son Jesus, and he gave us his life. May we not walk out of here today having just acquired another idea or another piece of knowledge. But may we walk out of here today having been connected with the life of Jesus. You say, what just happened? What happened Happened to me when I got saved. Maybe your what just happened is not yesterday or last week. Maybe it's 5, 10, 15, 30, 25 years ago. What happened to you was that you encountered the living God face to face. And he, by the power of the Holy Spirit, gave you the faith to believe that Jesus is real. That you're in need of a savior. And he made you brand new. That's what we're going to talk about next week that he did not repurpose you, he did not recycle you, he did not rehash you, he made you brand new. And then after that, we're going to talk about how do we live in this reality? How do we live Monday through Saturday in the reality that I'm redeemed, that I'm saved, I'm redeemed, I'm righteous, I'm brand new? How do we live when my boss yells at me, or when so-and-so does this against me, how do I live out my newness? Is going to be how we do it. And then conclude with baptism. It's going to be a great time. And I just wanted to say this one thing. May you never, ever, ever treat salvation as an introductory course to God. Because it is not Christianity 101. It is everything. Because it's jesus go back to genesis 49 18 i trust in you for salvation O lord the word yeshua is jesus jesus has never been an introductory course to anything the whole bible is about him in the old testament he's concealed and in the new testament he is revealed and he is alive and active in our lives today if you bow your heads with me Couple questions. First question If you're here this morning, you say, You know what? I would like to be saved. I want to know who salvation is, not what it is. If you're here this morning, and, and I'm going to hear in a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. You say, Why would I raise my hand? Just to acknowledge on the outside what's kind of bubbling up on the inside of you as the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart. If you're here this morning and you say, You know what, Josh? I want to begin a relationship with Jesus. I want to be saved. Count three. One. Two, three. Just raise your hand. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you. I want to be saved? Thank you so much. You can put your hands down. Secondly, if you're here this morning and you say this, I, like one of the writers said, want to restore unto me the joy of my salvation. You feel like you're here this morning and you've lost, lost your, the joy of salvation. You've begun to treat it as a what versus a who. I'd love for you to raise your hand too because I want to pray for you. And it's very easy to do. Thank you. Very easy to lose that joy because we, we think the whole thing is still contingent upon us when it's contingent upon Jesus. Here's what I'd like for you to do. We're first, say, I want everyone to repeat this prayer after me. It's a prayer of, of, of salvation. And then I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your son, Jesus. I thank you that you sent him To be salvation for me. Right now, in this moment, I confess to you that I'm in need of a Savior. So forgive me, become the Lord of my life, and I receive your redemption and your righteousness. Thank you. Lord, for every other person that raised their hand and said, would you restore unto me the joy of my salvation? I just pray right now in this moment that you would. Restore unto all of us in here the joy of our salvation, the joy of having come face to face with Jesus Christ himself, the Son of God. May you restore unto the joy of us the redemption that we received, the righteousness that we received. In fact, that your word says that we have become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's who we are because of Jesus. We thank you for everything you've done in us this morning and what you're doing in this church. And I look forward to Monday through Saturday of this week and all the things that you're going to do because you are alive and active and real in our lives. Help us in every area to be who you called us to be. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. everybody said... Amen.